Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Well, amen. It does all revolve around his throne. He's the center of everything. Amen. Should be. If we're followers of Christ, he ought to have preeminence in all of our life. And I pray that he does in yours as we gather this morning. Let me just say thank you uh, to those of you who brought water and batteries. And we want to uh, certainly minister to those who are south of us who uh, have suffered great uh, destruction from Hurricane Michael. It gives my name a bad name here, but uh, we appreciate you bringing water and batteries, and we're going to uh, take those provisions down. Uh, Brother Tim's got a contact there, having grown up in that area, the Lynn Haven area. We're going to uh, minister some folks down there and uh, try to make a difference for the gospel. Amen. So, uh, thank you for helping us to do that, making that possible. And uh, I want us to, this morning as we begin, to pray uh, for those uh, in the path of Hurricane Michael facing devastation. But one specific thing I want you to pray about this morning is um, Tim had told me that um, First Baptist Linhaven and all the, the churches in that area are just gone. They're destroyed, uh, either by extensive water damage or blown over. And so... Uh, First Baptist Linhaven was going to be meeting today, uh, despite all that, in their parking lot of their church. And so we're blessed. We got a nice air-conditioned building. We're inside and don't have to fight, fight the gnats, right? So uh, they're worshiping today. And so I want us to just pray uh, for them as they worship that perhaps their, their gathering uh, will have drawn in those who were non-believers who are looking for something in the midst of the storms of their life, and that perhaps through that ministry and the faithfulness of meeting today, that uh, God would reap a harvest for himself uh, in the midst of what's going on there. So let's pray together and just ask that from the Lord, because I believe if we ask anything in his name, he says, we can have it, right? So let's ask. Father, we do ask in the name of our Savior Jesus, who... Lord, desires all men to be saved, who went to the cross and bore our shame and our wickedness in his own flesh in order that he would bear the brunt of our iniquity and our sin and the wrath of God was poured out upon him in our stead and hallelujah, on the third day he rose from the dead. And that glorious gospel I'm praying will be preached today on the parking lot of First Baptist Lynn Haven. I pray as my brother preacher stands and proclaims the gospel. Father, we already know it's the power unto God unto salvation. We already know that, Father, you can open hearts and you can save people today. And so we pray that you would do that very thing. Lord, that you would begin to open hearts. I begin, pray that you would begin to draw a crowd of lost people there. That not only will the church be edified and built up today, but, Father, perhaps like the book of Acts, the church will be added to today by the souls you'll save. And Father, we want to thank you that you uh, have given us the opportunity to minister to them, and we want to do so by giving goods. But Father, uh, we pray also that you would stir our hearts, maybe in the near future, to go on mission. 
to go down and to begin to minister to the community with the full intent of not just taking and clearing trees or helping get up debris, but Father, with the full intent of sharing the love of Christ through a gospel presentation. So Lord, would you just move in our hearts and may it so be that we'll be obedient to the call of God to go. Now, Father, we're asking for us today that Level Plains Church, that you would open our hearts, you would open our minds, that we would receive the word today, and that we'd hear a word from God that would so move us that we would change to be the people of God you want us to be. And we already know what that looks like, because it looks like your son Jesus, in whom you're conforming us to be like. So chip away at our lives, make us what you want us to be, make us the church we need to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, six weeks we've been looking at the book of Acts, and the whole intent of the series is to talk about how Jesus builds his church. And as we've been looking at this series, my whole prayer has been, as I shut my door and I study and I pray, my whole prayer has been this, is that you as God's people would begin to get a vision and an understanding of what God wants this church to be. That it's not just a series of messages to say, well, we preached the book of Acts and I know more about Acts than I knew in the past, but it's really to move us in our hearts that we would become what they are in the book of Acts, that we would see the principles and the, the truth of God that we need to apply, be applied to our lives so that we could be the lighthouse in this community. And I don't know why we as a church could not begin to see growth and be a growing church. When God promises, remember we looked at that at the very get-go, that Jesus made that bold promise, I will build my church. And he began building a church in the book of Acts. On the day of Pentecost, he birthed the church into existence and filled that church with the Holy Spirit, the power in order for that church to grow and to be what he wanted it to be. And immediately we see how that church, as it began to grow, as he started that church, we began to see how immediately they gravitated to the truth, that they began to dedicate themselves to, remember those four principles we talked about, just so you remember, they were truth, fellowship, Christ-centeredness, that's the, the Lord's Supper, remember we talked about that, and then the thing that we neglect so often in church, and that's to pray. And uh, we ought to be a, a praying people because uh, it's true that God uh, inhabits the praise of his people. And one of the ways that we praise God is through our prayers. And I believe that God moves and does uh, his will in and through our prayers of the people. Not that he's dependent upon us, but he chooses to use us in prayer to do some things. I don't know why he would want to do that. I'm so faulty at times. And Yet he chooses to continue to use us, and thank God that he does. Amen? And so in the book of Acts, we are still in chapter 2 today, and I want you to look in chapter 2, and I really want to just talk about this sort of idea. Jesus unifies his church. We've been talking about how Jesus started the church, and they gravitated to those four activities, and they began to do those four things, and they were devoted to those four things. But what I want to see, see today is in Acts 2, I sort of want to sort of look at one overarching principle that we find in verse 46 that sort of guides, I think, verses 43 to 47. And I'm going to call them four characteristics. So really, we got this one overarching principle that is really 
um, played out, if you will, or seen through four different characteristics that the church demonstrates in this text. And so um, I'm going to give you the first overarching principle, but let's read the text. Let's see what God has to say. Acts 2, beginning in the text of verse 43. Listen to what the scripture says. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and their goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord, underline that because that's where I want to go first. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That verse 46 gives us the overarching principle. One of the things that we see that the church did in verse 46 is that they they were continuing daily. Notice this word, one accord. One accord is homothomos in the Greek. It's two words that really come together. Homo meaning same and thomos meaning purpose or passion. And so here's what we're seeing. We're seeing that a church is meeting daily and they're coming together. And as they come together, listen, even though they may be from various backgrounds and we know that they are, even though some of them were Jewish, some of them were proselytes, we know they're from various different regions because we're already told that in the beginning of Acts 2 because all these people heard, remember the gospel, they heard the wonderful works of God in their own language. And so there were multitudes of people that were there. And so out of that 3,000, you can see that God really loves, listen, God really loves a multi-ethnic church. God doesn't want just churches full of white people, amen? God wants multi-ethnic churches. He wants all kinds of people in church, amen? And uh, we ought to be a church that's multi-ethnic in our culture as well. That's what our city is. It's multi-ethnic. It's not just made up of white people, but we have uh, various different people groups, Hispanic groups, black families. We have white families. We have uh, Asian families. We got a different variety of families that are in the life of Level Plains and therefore should be in the lifeblood of our church as well. But that's a, that's a side point. You don't have to pay me for that. That's just a side point. But listen, they come together as one accord. They came together for the same purpose. Well, the word can mean passion. And I wonder if you ever thought to yourself, when we come together on Sunday morning, what is it to come together to do? It should be for the same thing, right? It should be for the same purpose and the same passion. And let me tell you what their passion was. You ready for it? It's not very complicated. Their passion was to love, honor, and proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Everything they did, their passion centered on this one who saved them, this one who loved them, amen, this one that they loved and would proclaim and tell the world to. That was their passion. And so when they come together as a church, listen, as we come together as a church, our passion, our purpose is not to come together just to pat each other on the back and talk Alabama football or Auburn football. When we come together as a church on Sunday morning, it's not just so that we'll come and we'll just sing a bunch of songs and be done. It's not just so we can run through Sunday school for an hour or run through the worship service in an hour. If you get out here in an hour, that's been, you've been blessed, let me tell you. That means you've had a guest preacher. Um, so 
let me just tell you, we come together, listen, we should be coming together in one accord, having the same passion. And if a church does not have the same passion, we don't have the same purpose, then we are not going to be a unified church. Because listen to me, the church that is Christ-centered is a unified church. Jesus draws his people together and he holds them together. And so when you and I begin to come together and we do so coming to live, to honor and to exalt and to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ, he draws us together as a unified body of believers. Then, listen, then we can accomplish some things. Then we can see God do some powerful things through us. But if we come together for other than Jesus Christ, if we come together and we come to church because, listen, on my job, I, I'm not a boss, so when I get to the church, I'm a deacon or I'm a boss, and so I'm going to make it miserable. Everybody, I'm going to lead. I'm going to be in charge. And we begin to fight over who's going to have power, who's going to have control. Let me tell you something. That's not a unified church. That's not a church that's centered on Jesus Christ. That's a church that's centered on you. Amen? If I come to church and I don't have the same purpose and goal to let Jesus be exalted and his, Him being loved and my passion being Him, but I come and I want all the songs to be what I want to sing, then it becomes about my personal preference. Amen? If, if I come to church and I'm busy gawking everybody else because, listen, they don't wear the fine Sunday best that I'm wearing. They're wearing less than what I'm wearing. And so they're not going to be honoring God. Listen, you're here for the wrong reason. Because when I walk through the threshold of that door, what my mind and my heart ought to be focused on is Jesus Christ, Him exalted, Him glorified, Him proclaimed. Amen? Because listen, that's what's most important. Because I don't know anybody who's wearing duds today that are beautiful and look good. Listen, who's going to win a world with their clothes that they're wearing? Amen? I don't know anybody who's going to win anybody to Jesus who feels like they got to be in charge of the church or take control. I don't know anybody who's doing that. Amen? So the reality is this morning that you and I need to come together like the first church. And the overarching thing that they had was they came together daily on a consistent basis. They came together for one purpose, to have a passion and a glory to give to Jesus Christ and he alone. Amen? And that's what we ought to be doing this morning. Everything we say, everything we do ought to be about coming together. Now, how do we do that? Well, we're going to look at some principles here in a minute, but I just want to give you some quick principles to help you to be this one accord kind of church, to be this church that's unified because we find it throughout the scripture and we call them the one another's of scripture. And I told you a few weeks ago, there's over 50 one another's in the word of God. And I want you to write down, here's some things that you and I need to do. If we're going to come together daily and be in one accord, have the same passion to lift up Jesus Christ, then how are we going to do that? First of all, we do that by loving one another. Amen. We ought to love one another. Love is not the feeling I have. Listen, there's some days you may not feel like you love your pastor, but I hope you do. <laughs> there's some days the pastor may not feel he loves you, but I hope I do. Amen? Because love is not the feeling that we have. Love is a commitment that we make. It is the commitment. What is the commitment, by the way? The commitment is not just to hang in there. It's not just to be together. The commitment is that I want what's best for you over what I want for myself. I love my wife, and because I love my wife, I want what's best for Marina more than I want what's best for me. So there's times, I don't feel like doing the dishes, but I do the dishes for her. Why? Because I know she's tired. She had a lot going on in her life this week. There's times, listen, I don't want to get up in the morning and have to deal with 
two five-year-olds and brush their teeth and help dress them and get them ready for school. But I get up and I do those things. Why? Because I love my wife and I want to do what's best for her. That helps her day go better. So you see what I'm saying? So when we come together as a church, it's not coming together to see, hey, how can the church serve me? But it's how can I serve the people in the church? And I do so by loving them. Secondly, I accept them. There's nothing worse than somebody coming, visiting a church and not being accepted. There's nothing worse than a visitor coming through the door of a church and no one ever speaking to them. That is horrible. But what's even worse is when we come to church, we don't speak to each other. Amen? Now, let me just throw it out there for what it's worth. I can't speak to everybody on Sunday morning. I stand at the door and I do my best. I really do. I stand at the door and do my best. And if you avoid me, not go out the front door, that's fine. You're not going to see me. But I try to shake at least everybody's hand and say hey to everybody the best I can. So I do the best I can. So don't, you know, well, the pastor never speaks to me at church. Well, make the effort, brother. I'm standing at the door, okay? I'll speak to you. But the reality is, listen, we ought to be speaking to one another. Amen? We ought to be really accepting one another. Thirdly, listen, we ought to bear with one another. There's times, listen, there's times where we're like sandpaper. We grind on each other. But praise God, we ought to bear with one another. All right? Love one another means we bear with one another. The third or the fourth thing is we ought to care for one another. We're going to see these played out in just a moment. We ought to care for one another. Listen, we ought to care about what's going on in each other's lives. And number five, just there's a whole list, 50 of them, encourage one another. Well, that's, that's why it says do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together is the habit of some. Why? Because we ought to encourage each other to love and good works. And so we ought to be doing that. So you and I are supposed to be one and be in one accord. Now, was the early church that way? They were. They were that way. And what I want you to see now, I want you to see four just principles, four, I don't know what you want to call them. You call them what you want to call them. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what we call them. But I want you to see just four things that I think flow in verses 43 to 47 that you and I ought to mimic as a church and be as a church to demonstrate our oneness, our, our passion, our coming together under the banner in the name of Jesus Christ, who's our unifier. So there's four things. So write down the first one. Here it is. They worshiped together. And where do you see that in verse 43? Well, look at the text in verse 43. It says, then fear came upon every soul. That word fear has been defined multiple ways by multiple people. And, and really there's two, two trains of thought when you begin to talk about fear in the Bible. There, there is the fear that Adam and Eve experienced when, you remember, they sinned in the Garden of Eden. When they sinned in the Garden of Eden, you remember what happened? They went and they hid themselves. They sewed these fig leaves together and, and God approaches them and, and God says, you know, what's, what's going on? And, and, and they said, remember, they said they hid themselves because they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Because fear set in because of sin in their life. And so they were afraid of this awesome, magnificent creator, God, who, who was walking with them in the cool of the day. And they were trying to hide from him because they realized they had transgressed in their sin. So there is this fear by which, you know, instills in an individual when they realize that they are under the wrath of God. They're, they're, they're under this place where they realize that they have sinned against the holy God. And then there is this idea of, of fear that comes that we would call, and we have called many a times, is a reverent fear. It's a, it's a fear out of respect. It's a fear that we have before God that, that makes us, and some translations of your Bible would probably use the word, not everybody feared, but everybody had awe. Everybody was in awe. They were 
just standing before this holy God and seeing what God was doing. And there's no doubt that God was doing some miraculous things in this body of believers. And God was doing some miraculous things in their community that that 3,000 people would get saved is a miracle in and of itself. But then the Bible tells us that in the rest of verse 43, there were signs and wonders. God was, was evident in the body because through the apostles, God was doing some signs and wonders. Some uh, uh, miraculous things were taking place in this body of believers. And that caused this fear to fall upon them, this all of God. And, and you know, I really have to be honest with you. I sort of wrestled with that this week. And I, I sort of just thought, you know, Lord... I really want to make sure we get this right. I want to make sure that when we worship God, that when we talk about worship and coming together for worship, that we really understand this worship. Because in my notes, here's what I wrote. I wrote that this fear that I have before God has more to do with me worshiping God and having an awe and a vision of God, not necessarily fearing his condemnation. Because in 1 John 4, 18, he tells us there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. There is no torment in the relationship of Christ, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. The, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit of God in my life has made me a child of God. I no longer fall under the wrath of God, so there is no fear of God. I, I may tremble in his presence. I may have this trembling at my sin that, that helps me to understand how vile I am and how great God is. But, but I don't fear God as a, as a child who fears a drunken father who comes home and who is so inconsistent and beats his family and he has to go and hide under the bed because his dad is drunk. I've been in that situation, not me personally, my family has been in that kind of situation where there is no really respect or love for the father who does that. There's just this primal fear, right? Because of the way he acts. Very inconsistent. God is very consistent. And God, in it, even in his judgment, God, even in his punishment of us as his children, is very loving and compassionate. But what I really want us to focus on, and I think the early church focused on in this word fear, and I wrote down some things that I want you to write down that are sort of not in my notes. They sort of just, as I prayed about it yesterday, I wrote some things down. And here's what I want you to write down. I want you to write down that as we think about worship this morning, we need to get back to a holy fear of God by which we focus our hearts and our minds on who he is. And I wrote down some things about God that I want you to write down who he is. And I pray that they'll begin to stir your heart this morning to get a vision of how grand he is. Because listen, God is not your equal. You hear me? God is not your equal. And and matter of fact, can I just say this? There is no one comparable to God. And so when we think about God, we try to bring him down to our level, but there is no bringing God down. God has to bring us up. So write these down. First of all, I want you to think about the majesty of God. I wish I had time to preach all these. Think about the holiness of God. Of God. Maybe these be points every day or seven of them. Maybe every day this week you can think about one of those things. What about the greatness of God? And let me just explain the greatness of God real quick because I've said it before, but let me say it again. It's worth saying and worth repeating when it's truth. When I was in Bible college, my missions professor on one of my papers gave me an A. And 
I remember the day he handed out those papers and he handed me the paper and he said, uh, here you go. And he gave it to me and I let it say, boy, isn't God great. And he said to me, little brother, let me tell you something. Even if I gave you an F, our God is still great. Can I tell you, listen, God's goodness and greatness does not depend on your bank account. It does not depend on your house standing after the storm today or this week. Amen. That is his character. That is who he is. Even if he gives you nothing, he is great and good. Amen. And that's my fourth point, good. But I want you to think about the love of God this morning. Can we really even comprehend it other than what we have through Christ? And then lastly, I want you to think about the severity of God. You say, oh man, that, that instills a little fear. Well, shouldn't there be a little bit of disciplined fear in our lives? Should we not realize that in the church at Corinth in Acts 11 or in 1 Corinthians 11, that there were some who were sick and there were some who were dead in the church because they sinned before God? Should we not take account, we're going to look at it in Acts chapter 5, should we not take into account that God did his own church discipline when Ananias and Sapphira lied against the Holy Spirit of God? Boom, he struck them dead. Should there not be some kind of fear? I think there should be. Should be. Because the reality is you're accountable to God. And um, it's probably enough said, amen? That's a lot to chew on this week. So you can write all those down and chew on that this week. And, and so uh, God is working signs and wonders and miracles and he's there. It's evident God is there through the power of the spirit. And so I, I hesitate to do this, but I, I really feel compelled of God to, to sort of ask you uh, this question. And, and I'm going to read it because I wrote it down. Um, and here, here's the question. When, when was the last time that you came to church and you experienced the presence of God. When was the last time you came to church and you experienced the presence of God? Now, God can do miracles and has done miracles in our midst and we've seen God do some tremendous things. And I'll tell you, one of the greatest miracles we witness today is when God saves a soul. When God snatches somebody from, from death, not physical, but from spiritual. And God regenerates a heart that's lost and then we get to witness baptism and get to see what God is doing. And that, that to me is a great thing. And as I said earlier, Luke 15 says that all of heaven rejoices. And, and we ought to rejoice at that. But, but really, when was the last time you came to church and you experienced the presence of God? And can I just say that I need to follow it up with this? Whether you did or not does not depend on the preacher, the songs, the song leader, but on you. You know what I mean, right? You, you ever been in church and you, you experienced the presence of God? You, you realize that, you know, God is, is with you. And I, I don't know, for me, Tim, you know, you've seen it. Uh, for me, it, it causes me to stop singing. I, sometimes I can't get, get a word out because I'm too busy crying and uh, focused in prayer on the Lord. And, and, and it's just, it's an overwhelming experience um, in my life that, that I just, I don't know, I, I just get a glimpse of God and it has nothing to do with the song he's singing and it has nothing to do with the people around me. It's just that, that God has revealed himself to me and, 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 and I, get a, I get a clear picture and, and it does something in my, 
my life that causes me to just wonder and, and awe at him. You know, this first church, I, I think about these things. I wrote them in my note. This first church, we're, we're filled with this love and this awe and this wonder of God. And you know what is amazing about this first church? They didn't have screens and projectors. <laughs> they didn't have lighting and air conditioning. Uh, they didn't have padded pews or hymn books. They didn't have drums or organs. So I tried to hit everybody, right? So the reality is, listen, we don't need those things. And if we come in this place and we feel like, well, the air conditioner's not on, I can't worship today, or the, the pew is not padded enough, or we don't have a drummer today, or we don't have an organist today, or we're not picking up a hymn book today. Listen, I've focused on externals rather than focusing my heart on who matters, and that's God. The church came together. They didn't have all these modern conveniences, but they had one thing. They had the presence of God in their midst, and it brought fear, brought fear into the, into the congregation, and they worshiped. But that's not all they did. Look back at verse 44, because not only did they do that, but they believed together. Notice in verse 44, now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They believed. What did they believe? Well, they believe the essentials. That's what I'm calling them anyway, the essentials. You know, I've, I've had people in churches I've pastored say, you know, pastor, I just don't know that Jesus is the only way. <laughs> I just sort of chuckle like I do because then that indicates to me they don't know that they're saved. They don't know they know Jesus as their savior because he is the only way. Amen. And, and, I, and I also chuckle at at Christians that I've been around who would say, well, you know, it really doesn't matter, you know, where you go to church, what you believe, you know. Uh, yes, it does. Okay? It does matter. Okay? Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Period. All right? When the church, first church came together, Peter didn't stand up and preach a Pentecostal message and say, hey, guys, this Jesus, I want you to know something. He's one of the ways. You can know God through Judaism you can know God through the Ten Commandments. Jesus is one of the ways. No, he didn't say that, did he? He came down to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ and he alone as the means by which you can have grace and salvation and be right with God. So if you're here this morning and you're a believing Christian and you're a member of this church, some of you are visitors. We appreciate you being here today. I forgot to say that, but we appreciate you visiting with us today. But if you're a member of this church and you don't believe in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, then we're not saying the same thing. And what I mean by the exclusive of Jesus Christ, listen, I mean that he is God's son. So he is 100% man. He's 100% God. We believe that he was born of the Virgin Mary. We believe that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. We believe that he was murdered and killed on the cross. We believe that on the third day he rose again bodily from the grave. We believe that it's only through his sacrifice of the cross of Calvary, his resurrection from the dead, that men and women can be transformed and be changed. We believe that he now sits at the right hand of the Father. Amen? And we believe too, listen, one day he's coming back to get us. Amen? That's going to be a glorious day. I'm looking forward to that day. You? Amen. Those are essentials. If we don't believe those things, first of all, I don't know how you can be, even be a Christian, but the church must come together on its doctrine. People don't talk about doctrine anymore. Oh, get away from doctrine. Listen, we need doctrine. Doctrine is important. We must all say the same thing. Amen? 
I don't think I need to spend a whole lot of time there because we talked at length before the apostles' doctrine. We talked about that being the scriptures. We believe the word of God. We believe the Bible. And so you have that there. So let's move on quickly. So they worshiped together. They believed the same thing together. But under this one accord, listen, they did something that a lot of churches don't do anymore. And that is we shared life together. You know, there used to be a time and a day in the community when people went to church and they celebrated around the church a lot of things. Church was the place to be, right? I mean, everybody went to church because that's where everybody was. They were at church. It's not so anymore. Now we have to take the church into the world because, listen, they're not going to come here. But those of, us, those of us who are here, listen, we ought to share life together. Notice how they shared life together. First of all, they did that by having this commonality. And by the way, that word in verse 44, um, that word all things in common is one word in the Greek. Uh, koinos and koinos is this word that means to be common or it means to be jointly it is or to be mutually together and it's where we get the word commune from and so the early church wasn't a commune it wasn't that everybody had to live together and looked alike and had this one leader that everybody followed and drank kool-aid no that that's not what we're talking about here we're we're talking about a a community of people as a living organism called the church choosing to be together day in and day out because they needed each other. They loved each other. They wanted to encourage one another. And so we find this community of believers. And notice how they did this. Notice in verse 45. So they had all these things in common, verse 44, but 45, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among anyone who has needs. It wasn't communism. It was community. And so the first thing they did is they cared about one another. They cared about one another. Do you care about the other people in the church? Do you care for your brothers and sisters? If we're going to be the church that God blesses, then we ought to have some kind of care for one another. Amen? And so here, their particular care was demonstrated. And remember now, these migrants, they they migrate in, or these these travelers, rather, come in. These pilgrims come in for the, the, the celebration. And while they're there, they get saved. And so now you got these people who are transplants. I mean, it'd be like those people from Florida who had to leave there to come here who are probably going to be living here among us for a while. And some may do like Katrina people did. They may decide they like our community so much they may stay here. They may not move back to Florida. But listen, so these people, they come up and they get saved. Now you got all these people, varying people. You got some who live there. You got some who doesn't live there. And so what do they do? They share their commonality of what they have. And so some of them began to sell, you know, their possessions. They went to the pawn shop and they pawned some candlesticks or they pawned some other things in order that they would have enough money, listen, that they would give to the church so that we could begin to minister to the needs of each other in the body of Christ. The worst thing that can happen for us as a church is that we have somebody in the church who has a financial need. I mean, talk about legit, true financial need, and we as a church ignore that. Or they have a need for something. Remember, John writes about this. John says, let us not love in word and tongue only. You know, how can we say a brother who's cold, hey, go and be warmed. I'll pray for you. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. How can we do that to our brothers and sisters who are around the world who have nothing to eat? You see what I'm saying? We, we are called upon to care for one another, not just locally in our congregation, but as a church as a whole. And so this church, they care for one another. So they sold their possessions and they began to give. And notice it says, as anyone had need. So if they had a need, they met the need. They, they ministered to them. You know, we have a benevolence program in our church. 
And the guys do a great job. When, they, when somebody comes to our church and wants benevolence, we sort of filter through and try to find out, is this legitimate needs or not? But one thing I do know about those three guys that run benevolence, that anytime there's ever been a church member who's come along who's had a real true financial need, they just do it. Why? Because that's what we ought to do. We ought to take care of the body of Christ. Not only that, but notice verse 46. Not only that, but they spent time together. Well, we ought to spend time with, with each other. Notice, he says in verse 46, he said that continuing daily, he says, with one accord from house to house, excuse me, one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, and they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So they, listen, they met together. They had times, listen, they came to church on Sunday. <laughs> Now, no doubt that was the context in which they lived, right? The temple was the context in which they lived. I mean, most of them were Jews or proselytes, and so that was the context in which they knew. They would go to the temple, and where would they go to the temple to? Well, they no doubt went up there to pray, but no doubt they also went up there to share Jesus with people. And we're going to see that in just a moment. But notice they go up there, and it's a time, you know, the next very next chapter, Peter and John are going up to the temple at the what? The time to pray, the, the prayer time. And they're going up there to, to worship God. And so we ought to, listen, we ought to make it a priority on Sunday mornings to be together. Why? Because that's what the early church did. But that's how God continues to grow his church. That's how God, that's how, listen, that's how we find out the needs that each other have. That's how we care for one another oftentimes. We get together on Sunday morning. So don't just lay in bed and feel like, well, I don't feel like going, so I'm not going to go today. Well, bless God, you ought to be here. Amen? You ought to make it a priority to come to church and be in church. Why? Because listen, listen, how else are you going to be discipled? Amen? And I'll tell you another thing I'm tired of hearing. Let me just put it all out there while we're out there in the series, okay? <laughs> another thing I'm, trying to, I'm tired of hearing too is, well, we don't get out until almost 12 o'clock. We start at 1030. Well, bless God, I got you for an hour and a half. That's all I got you for each week. You know, some of y'all, bless you, bless you, bless you on Wednesday night. I get some of y'all back for an hour and a half. Thank God, I appreciate you coming. But for some of you, I won't see you again until next week. I got to give you all I can give you now, amen? Because I won't see you until next week. And I'm hoping you're picking up your Bible and reading your Bible through the week. Amen? So that's why I keep you so long, Amen? time they spent time listen they spent time listen they spent time going to the temple but they spent time from house to house how much contact do you have with each other outside of church some of y'all do that very well some of y'all don't do that at all some of y'all never hear from each other until you see each other next week we ought to have some kind of communique between and you know what we call that small group small groups are important why because through small groups, again, we commune together. We have community. You know, people say, I just don't feel a part of that church. But then all they do is come in on Sunday morning, sit on a pew, and never go to Sunday school, never go to a small group. And they go, well, I just don't feel a part of the church. Well, bless God, be, be a part of something. <laughs> you know, make the effort. You got to make the effort too. Now, on the flip side of that, we got to let them in. <laughs> so if you don't let them in, you got a problem. So we got to let them in to our groups. Notice verse 46, 47. There's another thing that they did. They had joy. <laughs> I don't know about you. I enjoy. Listen, Wednesday nights. Who goes, who goes on Wednesday night? No, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Wednesday nights is a joyous time. Listen, we laugh and we cut up and we have a good time and we share and we laugh. It's just a let our hair down kind of night. You know, we pray together. We read the what we study through Jeremiah. But listen, we have a good time in there. And there's just a good relationship with the people that's in that, in that room. We just have a great relationship. Listen, you know what you're missing when you are not with God's people? 
You miss the joy that flows out of that. And we ought to be with God's people. Because there is joy. Notice how it says it in the end of verse 46. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Gladness we understand. Simplicity of heart. That word simplicity means rock. In other words, they had no rocks in their heart. There was no hidden agendas. There were no rocks to throw at other people. They just enjoyed being together. They didn't care that Bob didn't shower before he came today. Amen. They just loved being together. <laughs> and then notice this. There's that worship again. They were praising God. They're doing this together. Doing this together. And then lastly, listen. Listen, the church, lastly. Not only do they share life together, not only do they worship together and believe the same thing, but they evangelized. This church evangelized. You say, where do you get that in that text? Well, look, look at verse 47. And they were having favor with all the people. It sounds to me like not only was there this wonderful, beautiful community inside that was ministering to one another, hanging out together, worshiping God, experiencing a hand of God and the move of God in their church. But it sure sounds to me like all means all. That means they were also impacting the community that was around them. Listen, if we never as a church impact the community of level plains, we have ceased to be the church God has called us to be. We ought to not only have favor with each other in the church, but we ought to have favor with those who are outside the church. It sounds to me like they loved on their community. And that's what we ought to do as a church. We ought to love on our community. And there's multiple ways we can do that. I don't have time to talk about all those this morning. And so they were a church that witnessed. So they had favor with all the people. Notice what happens. As a result of that, and the Lord added to the church. This is amazing. This is incredible. Daily, those who are being saved. Underline daily. Do you know what that means? That church, at the end of that church year, let's just say this is a typical Baptist church, right? At the end of that church year, you know what would have happened in the year? At least, listen, at least 365 people would have been saved. At least. God's adding to the church daily those who are being saved. That's a move of God, people. You hear me? I don't know about you. That's the kind of move of God I want to see. I want to see God save people daily around me. Amen? But you know how that happens? God does it. He saves people to the uttermost. God is the only one that can save. Let's just be honest about it, right? Mike Foreman saves zero people. You save zero people. Only God saves. But you know what's equally true in that? Even though God doesn't need us to save a single soul, God uses us. Paul writes in Romans 10, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the good news. Who is that? That's us. That's the witnesses. The ones who are sent. Because what does God say? How are they going to believe if no one's sent? We, we, have, to, we have to go and tell. We, we are commissioned by Jesus Christ to pick up the baton of seeking and saving the lost. Not that I save anybody, but my responsibility as a follower of Christ, our responsibility as the church at Level Plains is to take the gospel, the good news of the gospel, to wherever we may go. Whether it be at work, at school, in our community, wherever we may go, the focus is the gospel. And listen, as a result of their witness, people were added to the church daily. Could it be that we don't see such a, a harvest is because we're not about preaching the gospel. 
Folks, this is incredible. This is powerful. But here's the reality. It's possible. It's not bound in the pages of the Bible. God can do that today. And he can do it in your life, in my life, and in our community. We have to be obedient to preach the gospel. We have to be obedient to making disciples. Why would God send a bunch of people here to be saved if we're just going to let them hang out and not ever disciple them? So we have to make a commitment not only to evangelism, but to discipleship. Let me wind down. Conclusion, let me conclude two things. One, Jesus' church should be a church with one passion, one accord. And that church should express that oneness by worshiping together, believing the same thing together, sharing in life together, and witnessing together. And so that leads us to commitments. So let me just read these commitments to you and then we'll close. What are you? Now I'm not talking to the person across the way. I'm not talking to the person who's not here. I'm talking to you this morning. What are you willing to do to help First Baptist Church of Level Plains be a church of one accord? What gossip are you going to quit telling? What kind of complaining are you going to quit doing? What are you going to do to help this church to be one accord, to have one passion? Jesus Christ. And he alone. Let me tell you the first starting place of that is get Jesus the center of your own heart. Number two, what do you need to repent of this morning in order that we can be or you can help the church be the church of one accord? What are some things in your own heart? I already know what's in my heart. I already know what I've given to the Lord this morning in prayer. What are you willing to give to the Lord this morning? That's a sin that's keeping you or keeping us from being in one accord. I know that's personal, but I told you it's like a revival. God's really reviving my own heart. Number three, if you're not a member of our church this morning, I'm talking to our guests this morning. If you're not a member of our church, let me just ask you, what would stop you from becoming a member or a part of this community today? What would stop you? And number four, if you never trusted Christ, I wonder what would hinder you this morning for praying and just seeking his face and saying, God, that preacher says, you're the only one that saves. Will you save me today? What's the harm in asking? My Bible tells me, if you seek him, you find him. And there's no sense of being cast into an eternity without him when all you have to do is call in the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Let's pray this morning. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.